Hello and thank you for downloading the Trap One podcast. We have a very nostalgic episode for you this week as we're looking back at four Fourth Doctor recordings which have just been re-released in an attractive new collection by Demon Music Group. It's the Tom Baker Record Collection. And we've assembled a panel to look at each of these stories. Hi, I'm Conrad. I'm looking at Genesis of the Daleks. Little known story. Never heard of it. I'm Mark, and I'll be talking about Exploration Earth, the time machine. Hi, I'm Hannah. I'm looking at Doctor Who and the Pescatons. And I'm Cy. And I'm going back to the state of decay. Brilliant. So these these things kind of seem more precious, I suppose, before Tom came back and did the Nest Cottage stories and and then Big Finish, which I'm very pleased that he did. But, you know, for a long time, these were the only kind of uh, kind of extracurricular from the from the TV things that he did. Uh, and as I say, there's a lot of nostalgia bound up with them. So this new collection is, um, as, as usual from Demon, it's, it's very, very attractive. Um, we've got a really cool cover with, uh, with Tom kind of looking, uh, uh, I suppose, yeah, looking quite kind of mysterious on the... Pensive. Yeah, pensive, yeah. Uh, in a sort of season 12 kind of outfit as well, so I guess that fits with... Genesis of the Daleks. What well, this cool little kind of thing on the back? Uh, I know you guys uh, can see this. People at home can't. The with the scarf as a sort of um, spiral kind of motif. Very nice. Oh, I like that. Yes. I've seen before. Um, so it, it slips out of its cover, and then the rest of it is is like a book or an album, I suppose. Um, so we've got the slightly controversial art on the front. Um, caused a little bit of a stir on Twitter a couple of months ago that it was. Um, uh, a fan artist whose whose render had been um, appropriated uh, for <laughs> for the cover of this. So it shows um, sort of two Genesis Daleks, uh, one without its gun. Yeah, I think that was in James James Johnson, um, the Pridonian on Twitter, and it was fairly clear, like a water. It was very clearly a watermarked image, which the design house obviously just for whatever reason decided they would use. But uh, I think there's been a settlement now, so it's all been sorted. So Good. happy ending. Don't steal art, people. Yeah. <laughs> and then inside is a photographed picture of Tom Baker, which um, sort of half recognised the image. I think um, that's what it's like the photo shoot with the strange bike, isn't it? Yeah, sort of a tricycle yeah. with a with a big kind of speaker on, as though it's yes. um, like an old fashioned record player, like a gramophone or something. I did a kind of a bit of an image search, and I think it's just been flipped from the way around that you normally see it. Mm. Um, but that's, um, yeah, these are all kind of hand-signed by Tom Baker, which I think, as we said when we talked about Nest Cottage, Si, he doesn't really do conventions anymore, things like that. No, um, so they've become a bit more valuable now, don't they? So Yeah, I had a quick, like, I think Etsy people are selling them for about £140, Tom Baker or wow. on, on various things. Uh, so, um, so, yeah, it's kind of, I suppose, if, that, if you're after a Tom Baker autograph, Makes it worthwhile getting the um, the record set, and you get all the stories um, as well. There. So the beautiful art continues throughout. Uh, there's a big kind of um, double page spread in the middle of the TARDIS, and a kind of a surreal kind of. It's all quite kind of seventies, I suppose, with all the, the patterns and the yeah. uh, pieces on there. Um, and then uh, the same on, on each of the individual record sleeves, uh, and the records are all kind of different colours and things uh, within there as well. So. Yeah, really another nice. really nice set. I think maybe not not quite as lavish as the Nest Cottage ones look. Um, you know, in terms of like the that comes with a Tom Baker autograph as well, and it, that's sort of original art that they've that they've done and got signed. And and there's um, I think like a booklet and things with that. But yeah, re- another another really nice set and a fantastic set of stories. Starting with Genesis of the Daleks. Genesis of the Daleks. So I was, as the oldest member, the senior member of the group, um, <laughs> I, I was quite rightly tasked with Genesis of the Daleks because I, I mean, I remember seeing this uh, on broadcast. So it was first broadcast in uh, March, April 74. I would have been three and a half. Um, I probably remember it from the December, December 75 uh omnibus edition so i would have just been pushing five and i definitely and i i've got very visceral real memories of just it's funny you just remember kind of snatched moments and the things i i can really remember it's only odd these odd sort of sense memories you have but i can i can see sarah jane's boots climbing the red scaffolding outside the rocket 
you know, and just being, and these are very, very heightened, alarming moments. So they're very burnt into your head. So I really remember how exciting that was. Um, the hatching tank titles, um, uh, cliffhanger, I mean, was just petrifying. It's, I think it's my favourite cliffhanger. I think it's between that and the Zygon attack in, uh, with Sarah in Zygons. I think they're my two favourite cliffhangers. And it's just, I can't rewatch them now without... And they're so high, like the music, the drama, the action, the zoom, everything is at this kind of fever pitch that is really quite alarming to take. And I don't know if it's just a sort of Proustian thing, but it still makes me feel very kind of alarmed. Um, and the other thing that really, really scared me that I vividly remember, in fact, it was one of the scariest things about Genesis, were the giant clams, which <laughs> are a joke. They're the magma beasts. They're the murka of this story and the butt of every joke. And anytime anyone laughs about them, I'm just like, what are you talking about? They're terrifying. I was <laughs> legitimately petrified of them so much so that we went on a holiday once and there was a seaside shop and out like in the window they had this kind of giant clam thing and i absolutely refused to go in because i thought it was the most (laughs) nightmarish uncanny and terrifying thing ever so yeah there you go you know this program's aimed at four-year-olds and it's did its blinking job um this is of course where the story that mary whitehouse uh you know came in for tea time brutality for tots fearing that would have a long lasting impression on the children who watched it i mean it didn't do me any harm um (laughs) no effect on me whatsoever so yeah those are things i sort of remember sort of remember but so trying to approach this story for me is really quite difficult and i think it's quite a difficult story to approach anyway because it's so well known it's so it's sort of at the core of doctor who's dna um but i just had a look through just to see how many times this thing had been released and it's just, it's kind of ridiculous. Basically, uh, broadcast, it was 74, 75, 82, 93, 98, 2000 in various formats. So it's been obviously repeated a lot. Um, on audio, it's, uh, so this the, for this Genesis uh, LP was the first sort of Doc 2 outing on BBC Records and Tapes, 1979. Um, again in 1988 uh, on BBC Audio. Now we've all got million, this whole podcast is going to be like lots of different versions of how we're all listening to stuff. So 1988, the BBC Audio cassette with Slipback, I think is the copy that Mark, you've, 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 you're rocking. I had that, yeah. Um, and then I think 2001... Uh, or was that maybe that was Exploration Earth was 2001 uh, 2011 uh, the, it was released again and I think someone's got a version of that I think Mark's got that one as well, Mark's got yeah. That one as well. That, yeah that's on a the CD looks like a looks like an LP record in it yeah which is quite oh, cool nice. on that one very very nice and that was sort of audio go vintage beeb range in 2011 uh 2016 uh, the demon uh, music group released the original uh genesis thing again for record store day with a sort of cool tardis blue uh sort of version of it and then here we are again in in 2023 with it released again so that's kind of in audio it's just had a kind of unprecedented amount of releases and then home media is kind of interesting, I think, because it's um, VHS. I remember the VHS released with uh, uh, Sontaran Experiment in 91 on DVD in 2006 and Blu-ray and the season box, season 12 box set in 2018. But each of those got re-released again in a sort of themed box set. So the VHS had its Davros uh, box set in 2001. The DVD had a a Davros box set in 2007 and the Blu-ray uh, Genesis got released on Blu-ray for a Time Lord Victorious uh, box set in 2020 so it's just with all of it I, mean, it's, I think it's got to be the most or certainly above, it's got to be the most released sort of story there, there is I think Spearhead is probably giving it a run for its money um, and this doesn't include, include the books as well which I know it's one of the most widely published Doctor Who books as well but I think it's up there with Spearhead and probably the Cushing movies are probably the most broadcast and maybe the most released, I'm not sure. But Genesis is definitely up there. So it's kind of, when you're just trying to sit down and go, right, let's talk about Genesis and Daleks. It's such a big beast. It's kind of hard to get a handle on it. But um, yeah, from my experience, obviously, I remember it at the time and I would have just sort of encountered it with, you know, I've been on Trap One podcast before talking about the making of book, the Amazing World of Doctor Who Annual, the Typhoo cards, the Weetabix cards. And I think... What I think the most sort of vivid uh, encounter with it I had because I don't I didn't actually have this uh, LP at the time, um, but I went to the Longleat Doc Two exhibition in 
I went two years in a row, I think when I was five, when I was too scared to go in. Um, and because I could hear Daleks in there and I was like I'm no fool I'm not getting in there um, and I think the year, the year after when I was six and I rem- vividly remember the first time I went in there and I remember seeing Davros behind glass and I remember my parents putting their hand on my shoulder and they they still remember this day like I was shaking like a leaf with absolute terror so like I've got very very kind of strong sort of physical memory of this thing um but yeah in terms of the the, the genesis release like I, I remember i first came aware of it um probably as they used to show it after as you've probably seen when you rewatch the the collection sets like um you know after the show's finished and the continuity they're saying and available on bbc records and tapes is genesis of the daleks now i always used to look at it and go oh that would be nice but it just never came our way um and there was also the advert in doc two weekly there was a little comic strip advert. oh yes with the dalek yeah with the dalek record shop yeah the daleks <laughs> running daleks are running a record shop it's a whole thing i've got it i'll put i'll post it in this in the on twitter it's, it's very beautiful um so the, but of course this was like it's such a, a great time to release it of course because destiny had just appeared on tv which is basically a sequel to this story and so it's a really clever time like timing wise it works out very very nicely sort of tied in with that but yeah so it's a big old beast so i just thought i know i'll sit down and see you know it's and there's you know it, it's lodged in my head and i can't really separate it from doctor who to me this is the most doctor who this is my doctor this is my companion this is my favorite monster this is you know this is is very you know central to mine and lots of people's experience of doctor who but i thought i'm going to sit down and rewatch it and i'm going to try and put a critical eye and see if i can just try and look at this afresh and maybe just you know try and find I don't know, some distance from it. Um, to be honest, I just got sucked back in the story. And I think any time you watch it or hear it, you're always just struck by just how bloody incredible it is. So that, that's on a hiding to nothing. <laughs> if I was going to absolutely nitpick, that posh Khaled leader is a bit crap. The one who's like, oh, yes, it's a dystonic bomb. And they're going to destroy the dome. And he's really posh and quite well. <laughs> he's healthy. Um, I did sort of think this time that actually the rocket, as exciting as the rocket sequence is, it is a bit of a shame to go through all of that just to be turned around and told to go back down again. Like, I, I just think at least they could have got to the surface and got captured or something. That felt a bit whatever. And I will concede that the second clam attack, they clearly haven't got time to move them, so they are just trying to jump over static things. So I, I was like, you know what? That second clam attack isn't on. Apart from that, it's perfect. I don't know what to tell you. If you don't like this, you don't like to go home. Um, so, but, but listening to it was really, really interesting. I think it... Um, like it condenses down very nicely, and it's a from the BBC. It's like it's a very, very classy adaptation. Very, very clean. There's no, um, you know, it's it's bolted on with the with the uh, titles music at the beginning, at the end. There's no talking over it. There's no saying, oh, these parts were played by. So it's a very clean sort of two part story. Um, the performances, of course, are so the actors generally are so good that the voices and the characterization is so vivid. It's very easy. You know, Nida, Michael Wisher, these are some of the best performances in who. So it, it comes out very neatly. I sort of didn't have any, pro- I didn't really miss anything oddly enough. It, they, it's very well adapted, I think. And I think on the, now my, I've got a CD version and it plays it straight through, but I think on a vinyl version, I'm assuming it's going to be like that on this version. There's a cliffhanger, where the Doctor realises Sarah and Harry have been destroyed in the dome with a big explosion and a, mm. and a cliffhanger, which I assume that will be on this vinyl version. That's and that right. makes a really, really sound cliffhanger. And even the narration from Tom is very sombre, very, it's actually in-character narration. It's very light, so you almost don't even notice he's narrating it. It almost sounds like dialogue. So, yeah, this is... Yeah, this is this is happy days for me. But I'd never actually, I'd never actually, I, I did have this CD lying around, but I don't think I'd actually ever listened to it before. So it was nice to come at it. Um, so you know, Genesis of the Daleks is very good. That's my uh, amazing <laughs> hot cake. Hey, thanks, you're welcome. The internet is a bit of blow up Twitter. I tell you. Do you know? <laughs> um, I actually experienced Genesis of the Daleks for the very first time by this version. No way. Oh, yes. So um, yeah, I um, I bought this with my birthday money on my sixth birthday in 1981, and um, yeah, I had the cassette version, and this was this was my first experience of the story, other than the book. Maybe I'm sure we'd have read the book by then. Um, so yeah, so this is this always feels like the definitive version for me 
more than the TV oh. version because I heard it so much through my childhood. And there are certain bits that I would replay. I really loved the music when, um, particularly the, the scene where Sarah and Severin are at the top of the rocket. Yeah. Um, and the music there from Dudley Simpson is so brilliant that I used to rewind that bit and, and enjoy that. And I loved the the um, mutant attack on the Doctor as well. That whole sequence is really, really great on audio because you can't see it. I imagine yeah. it was really, really horrible. <laughs> and it's horrible yeah. on TV. So, so my imagination was playing all of this. And so all of these voices were so ingrained in me. And NIDA was really chilling. And Peter Miles' voice is so distinctive that um, his performance really comes out on audio beautifully. And I think that's why so many of his lines are are so revered by fandom, because this was an audio that we all had. So everyone knows, thank you. That's what I wanted to know. (laughs) (laughs) Your views are not important. (laughs) Sai's just talking to us now. That's literally just talking to us. That's not quoting anything. Um, And... and you're right, Tom's narration is just so superb. I mean, considering this is 1979 and on TV, Tom Baker is not being renowned for for a somber performance, but he nails this absolutely. And it's probably just a couple of hours work to, to get this down. But he's absolutely, absolutely brilliant. How about you guys? Like, Where did you first, you know, you might be a tad older than me, I'm sensing, I'm not sure. Um, I just had tad younger, only a little bit. Um, where did you first like come across Genesis? Mine would have been on a DVD. I'm trying to think how early I'd have seen it. In that, I, I had quite a sort of a fairly patchy viewing of Tom Baker's um, 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 stuff. But I remember getting it, and it had the um, sort of sticker on it as oh, voted yeah. as sort of one of the sort of top stories. Um, and I yeah. kept that sticker on the, on my shelf with um, and with things, even because it was stuck on the cellophane. They've just got it. I thought, oh, I'll keep this. Yes, um, that's beautiful. Yeah, it was interesting to hear um, the his audio um, um, version because uh, it is a story like yeah, I love and I've I've and watched um, loads. Um, uh, but I, I can add there's another release on this in that <sighs> I listened to it via the season 17 Blu-ray set. Yes. Um, it's occluded on um, on there, um, having presumably had to miss it off the season 12 one. Um, it's so much pacier, even for, for what is quite a pacey story any, anyway, you know. It's never one of those where you kind of feel like bogged down with it anyway. Um, it, but it just feels like it's action, action all the way through, which is... And it's... For, for a TV story, it works amazingly well on audio with quite limited amount of, of narration, actually. I think I'm similar to Sai in that I don't know whether I read the novelization or heard this first. It would have been probably a fairly close-run thing, but definitely before I got to see the story, which which would have been the VHS release uh, as well. Um, and, yeah, it's probably it was one that I listened to. Uh, say I had it on the tape, would slip back and, and, and would have listened to them both um, yeah, quite a bit at the time. Um, so yeah, it does. It's it's the the TV version. Probably for a while, it seemed quite jarring after that, where there's these bit unexpected bits in it. Um, and listen to it this time, yeah, it, 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 all the memorable bits are in there, aren't they? Because this is less than half, I think, the running time of the yeah. TV story. Mm-hmm. I think the only bit I could really think of this time is the bit where Harry steps on the mine, which is quite a memorable the landmine, which is quite a memorable yeah. bit from the TV episode that they they leave out there. But it's again, it's quite visual, isn't it? So. Uh, it's, uh, it's it's probably a good bit to snip in service of the you know the bits that actually drive the plot forward or anything. But yeah. no, I think it's so beautifully done. Like you say, the they, they cut out the kind of the stuff about them the expecting to arrive on Nerva Beacon and that kind of thing, so it works better as a standalone release. And then yeah, just just straight into it. Um, it's just yeah, I think an absolutely perfect audio version of of a classic story can't imagine anyone wanting to release any other audio version of genesis of the daleks at all it would it would only be a disappointment and yet so mark i haven't heard the, i haven't heard the, so what so this is big finish right so this summer they they i haven't heard this but they released uh daleks genesis of terror terror an adaptation of the original script have you you've heard this i have heard this yes what madness is this um, this is they they got uh, I think the original set of Terry Nation scripts from it, 
and released it. The first episode is is like a big Finnish play. It's dramatized. It's got Tom Baker um, and their their Harry and Sarah yeah. mm-hmm. um, in it, and so on. And then for the subsequent parts, I don't think there was enough script written. So for <laughs> for each episode, you get the titles, and then a few minutes of um, sort of Nicholas Briggs or somebody saying what happens in that episode, and then. It's the titles crashing again and then open again and then um, so yeah it's it's sort of it's obviously quite unsatisfying. There's not a lot of variation from as far as I could tell from the the TV story. It's a lot more. I listened to it when it came out. So it, was, it was a few months ago, but I would say the that set does come with some some quite good extras. There's a there's a a really good interview with Philip Hinchcliffe uh, included on that, but not as good as the one that US Jason did. Uh, with Philip Hinchcliffe uh, about his target novelizations, I must say. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's an interesting uh, sort of look at his time as uh, as producer on the show. So it does have some some nice extras and things and, and memories of it that come with it. But as an adaptation, when we've got this sort of perfect trimmed down, all action and encapsulation of it, um, it's yeah, it's 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 a little bit unnecessary. Yeah, and it's it's just it's interesting as well, just like what a long shadow it casts over all of Doctor Who, and it's like, I mean, you know, the we were talking about all those re-releases, you know, on on, on Blu-ray, going for that Time Lord Victorious box set, because this is this is cited as the first the first when the first shot was fired of the Time War, so like it really is, it does, and and that has ram that goes right through news, you know, through to New Who, and I remember you know the Stolen Earth in two thousand eight, the moment where. Sarah met, meets Davros for the first time since mm. 34 years ago gave me a very particular chill because it wasn't just like these characters walked on stage they actually met at that moment and I was like the last time you two characters met I was there watching you at this so it was a very it was 34 years just kind of just contracted into that moment and it was just extraordinary and and you know it'd be interesting to see how you know if davros comes back again or whatever but like it is it's it's kind of extraordinary but it's it's a high so it is quite a hard story to tackle because it just gets so massive and so central to doctor who to me it is doctor who so it's kind of quite hard to come at you know it's a strange one isn't it i did the commentary for joe's hamster with a blunt pen knife and it was like we had to be really serious because this is a special story and it (laughs) deserves reverence and and me and fraser and joe were all on our best behavior because it was genesis (laughs) of the darlings which is it's really odd because it's just a doctor who story but there's something about this one isn't there i think it just like you said casts such a long shadow over Doctor Who after it that it's yeah you can see why it's so revered yeah and I think now you know with you know you know we're on social media we do podcasts we're looking for new everyone's desperate to find new takes on stuff so I think it's like it's a sort of healthy instinct to try and look at stories that are unloved and find you know the good things about them Um, but you occasionally see the odd thing like what's the most overrated story and everyone just sort of instead of actually answering that question, people just tried to go to what are the most popular stories. So people are trying to desperately to find bad things to say about Androzani and Genesis, and it's a little fruitless. I, w- I would imagine people are probably, for the sake of originality, not not putting it as their favourite stories. They're probably trying to just hesitate just to be a little bit different about it, and that's, you know, that's healthy. But, I mean, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable piece of television, and it's... Sorry, this this isn't giving you no hot takes or controversial takes. <laughs> I should have just come and said I hated it. And you mentioned the stolen earth. Uh, obviously, the, the 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 seed of the idea for Magician's Apprentice and Witches Familiar is in here as well. When the Doctor says to Sarah and Harry, "You know, if I showed you a child and said that this child become a mass murderer," the Doctor then meeting Davros as a young boy. That's that's that played out that kind of moral dilemma, isn't it? So it's it's another influence. Uh, you know, it's still being felt in the uh, in the modern series. Yeah. And Hannah, you've heard the Pescatons for the very first time for for this podcast. So thank you very much for listening to that for us. 
Yeah, I, I had absolutely no idea what to expect at all going into this. <laughs> and you weren't really giving anything away. And I was, and I was like, oh, is, is there a reason no one's told me to do this before? Is it just something, guys, oh, you should be expected to get round to this? Um, and so, I, yeah, I, I didn't know what to ex- expect. And I think because I'm used to big finish stuff, I was expecting um, more of an audio play rather than a story. So was a little bit surprised initially to have it so like heavily narrated. Uh, but actually, I, I found this works sort of quite well because it's sort of building up the tension um, throughout it early on. And uh, oh, Tom Baker's voice, you, you just want to sort of get closer and closer and, and listen in to him as he's sort of describing uh, things. Um, yeah, I, I, I quite like that. It means we're quite light on Sarah until part two. Um, I, 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 Sarah doesn't do well to be really out of this story. It's, it's it is very much the sort of companion who is sort of there to kind of ask questions and sort of get sort of perhaps a, a little bit dismissed at times. Um, but this is balanced out because I, I think this is quite a horrific monster to sell to children on audio. Um, there's uh, there's, there's a, a really long stretch of some loud panic screaming as the person <laughs> attack. I just really cannot imagine leaving a small child alone to listen to this. Why this absolute <laughs> horror plays out? Um, yeah, there's some fantastic imagery of that. I, I do love it. it's dreadful, but there's a really grim description of skeletons floating around in sort of dark, empty water, which you just think, oh, I do hope it haunted some nightmares because it's such a great description. Um, oh, the, the blank eye socket staring out at your children. Um, yeah, um, well, oh, the uh, I, I I really liked um, Zor's uh, voice. I think it's Bill Mitchell. I want to say um, I'm, I'm I'm doing his voice. He reminds me of Telly Savalas playing Glowfeld in On My Secret Service, <laughs> but really specifically him um, on hypnosis tapes to his Angels of Death. And, you know, just kind of like, I want you to listen very carefully. That that, that kind of I, I, I think. Um, uh, so yeah, I, he was I'm, the um, cinema trailer voiceover man for oh, for oh. around twenty to thirty years because of that voice. He was the go to um, UK trailer man. So yeah, he, Ooh, yeah, you'd have heard his voice a lot without without knowing it. It's that so transatlantic. That time- so at that time, I'm presuming he'd have been really familiar to people then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ah, that's interesting um, to hear. Because I was going into it with sort of no context, and part of me was wondering, what is the background to this? How did we end up in this? Because I know knew vaguely that like the likes of Exploration Earth was like educational, uh, but I had sort of no idea how Pescatons had come to be this sort of, I, I think, sort of the one-off like um, original audio release. Yeah, it's... Um- it's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's um, Victor Pemberton returning to the show, um, yeah. and there are many, many parallels with um, with Fury from the Deep, with a living weed and um, a creature destroyed by by high pitched noise, and the Doctor playing his piccolo. <laughs> yes, I noticed that. It, I felt like the Trout emphasis is one that in the London Underground whilst he's playing his oh, piccolo. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> Trout and bingo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Hannah, the big question I've got for you was, um, did your goose pimples have goose pimples? <laughs> I could practically feel them. <laughs> uh, Liz Sladen deserves a medal for delivering that line and making it a joy. I, some of, I, I always some laugh. There are, are certain bits where, like, the 15th century, just how old are you <laughs> in the middle of a crisis and, and things like that? It's a little bit off, isn't it? It's like the annual stories that we talk about. Yes. Where Sarah seems to have forgotten that they're time Everything. travelers <laughs> in this story because they land and they don't know where they are at all. And the doctor says, What time of year is it? And she says, February. And it's like, Well, that might be the time when you left Earth. But presumably, she thinks they've just. Uh, they've only travelled in space. And then, like you say, when the Doctor says that uh, 
he went to Pesca in the 15th century. She says, how old are you? And that reminded me of Tomb of the Cybermen, which Victor Pemberton script edited, mm. when the Doctor says that the TARDIS enables me to travel through the universe of time. And Victoria says, well, how can you? I mean, if that, must, if that is true, then it must mean you're how old? So, it's, I mean, it doesn't make any sense anyway, like why well, you'd have to be a certain age to be able to travel in time. But it's a similar yeah. sort of misunderstanding of a, of a companion from that. And then also the fact that there's no sign of unit as well, which somebody more familiar mm-hmm. with the series may have addressed that because nobody believes the Doctor in this, do they, when he starts talking about the sort of sea monsters and things? My immediate thought was, you need to give unit a bell. And why haven't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, no, there was that really out of character bit again from Sarah about um, why can't the army defeat anything? Why aren't our bullets working? We should be prepared for all of this. And it was just, Liz Sladen sells it because of course she can, she can sell anything, but yeah, it's um, slightly, yeah, the characterization is slightly off. One other thing that felt like slightly out of it for me was the music. It's very electronic led and, really high pitched and there's times where it's it's almost it feels ahead of its time because it's really like video game music it really reminds me of game boy music as a um, um as, as a kid and i keep expecting like a pokemon to jump out of it um, um, <laughs> at me um, um, from the bushes so in that way it kind of works well for like <laughs> random monsters appearing but it was like this isn't quite sort of the sort of 70s stuff i'm used to yeah, they really go in on the the horror of the monsters, though, and like you said, the screaming and the sort of rampaging, people being ripped to shreds. Like that really was when you had to turn it down. You like apologise to the neighbours because it sounded like there was a massacre going on. I was playing this quite late, and I was like, <laughs> these walls are a bit thin. <laughs> Phone calls, phoning the police, like what's going on at number thirty six. I listened to it when I was mowing the lawn on Sunday because we had quite nice weather here and I thought it's going to be my last cut. So I listened to it and over the sound of the engine, I had to sort of turn it up quite high, the volume up quite high to hear Tom Baker. And then when it got to that bit and it was just screaming right into my ears, I was like, ah, turn it down, turn it down. <laughs> it's one of those where you expect it to go on for a couple of seconds, but actually it's just a few <laughs> seconds too long. You know, guys, blind. Yeah. And but, the sirens later on are the same. They're very shrill in your ears, yeah. But the sound design overall is is pretty good for for the time. And I, the the pescaton heartbeat was something I remembered from from hearing this as a kid. And I could could hear that even though I hadn't heard it for for a few years. Sort of between um, when I heard my the first time and when I got my own copy. But I always remembered that quite well and the roar of the the pescaton as well. And like you said, those scenes in in London Zoo where you hear the smashing of the aquariums and the water and and everything else are are really good. Considering it started so heavy on the narration side, I was wondering, like, oh, are we actually going to get much in terms of sound effects or is this the reason we've gone down this route? But actually, yeah, as it goes on, you get sort of more and more of of this and it really builds out the story. I do like it that that Doctor Who uses his special mental powers to defeat Saw when he's on Pesca. That made me chuckle. Because, again, that feels like an, a line from the annual. Of course, Zor's powers were no match for my special Time Lord powers. <laughs> and then I got away. I got back to the TARDIS somehow, and we went off. <laughs> it does feel, because there's only three people in the cast, it does make it does feel bigger and, and more epic than that. And, and the way the narration sort of papers over the cracks when he says, oh, you know, I met up with this professor who told me what was going on and then I ended up going underwater and that kind of thing. So there's sort of other characters around without hearing them. Yeah, I hadn't noticed there was only three members of the cast. I hadn't totally hadn't noticed that because, like you said, it feels very epic and they're going big on London as a location and, you know, invasion of London and all this stuff. So, and with all their sort of, I mean, I'm sure these have got to be, there's a lot of stock sound effects in here of like window smashing mm-hmm. and guns being fired and crowds screaming. I'm sure these are like individual stock tracks, which is why maybe they sound a little off. I was like, I bet you those screams are from a horror sort of track you know and i'm sure like so it just it's but but that is it does have a sense of scale and when they really do it's not just like oh yeah here's a monster they really lean into how sharp its teeth and claws are and it rips things to shreds and so by the time you've got loads of them landing you know the invasion has begun there's a cliffhanger it is really like wow this is the scale is actually really really ambitious on it which it should be for audio i think it's good 
Yes, part one, you've just got the one pescaton, and part two, you've got loads of them as they invade. It's like Alien and Aliens, isn't it? I, I imagine it's a big influence probably on the, on, on that franchise. It's also <laughs> odd as well having an alien with an American accent, isn't it? I, I can't think, even on TV, even in the modern series, I can't think they've ever done that. So it's another thing which just doesn't sound like Doctor Who and kind of make, makes it a bit weird. But I, I had Telly Savalis in my notes as well, Hannah, weirdly enough, <laughs> um, how, how close um, that, that Bill Mitchell sounds. And I didn't know the thing about him being the cinema trailer guy, but he had a part in part six of Frontier in Space. He was going to be a newscaster, uh, but his scene was, was cut from the finished programme. Uh, then he went on to be in Supergirl, the movie, from 1984, and he played one of the astronauts in You Only Live Twice. Oh, well, there we go. So all the connections are there. We just mm-hmm. didn't quite get him in Doctor Who on TV, which I think his voice would have been been really good as a newscaster. Definitely. I think the contrast with, with Tom Baker's kind of very plummy English tones as well when he's facing off against Zor, it works really well, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So did you enjoy Tom Baker's singing when he does oh. his Hello Dolly to, oh, to distract yeah. Pescaton? That, that always yeah. makes me, that me a little well. bit, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so distracted because I've been looking up, I've been looking at various um, if you only live twice astronauts recently and part of what's going on is he, he's the astronaut number one in, in number one or in, or astronaut number one in number two shuttle because there's actually about sort of three or four different um shuttles you see and they are all just named astronaut one astronaut two in their credits he's in the second shuttle ah, but i don't know whether he's astronaut one or two um he's 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 in there with um George Rubisek, I want to say, uh, his, um, Okay, so you should recognise him then. Um, yes, so um, I've definitely. Um, uh, oh, uh, yeah. So, um, I, I, I thought I, I, I knew which one George Rubisek is, um, um, and was. George Rubisek is uh, slightly nearest the, um, 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 the camera, and they do appear for about once a uh, um, um, second for you to actually properly see their faces. And I say properly because they're in astronaut helmets. It's really hard to make out which ones are which when you're sort of looking at photos of, of George, you know, which one is, but a bit closer to knowing that. This is the Doctor Who Bond crossover that Mark has been. This is the podcast he's been working towards all his life. All I've got is all I've got is Pescaton, Her Majesty's Secret Service, and that's the best I can do. I'm sorry. It's the best I can do. I'm sorry. You've brought no puns to this game so far, Mark, so I don't know what you're playing at. Um, <laughs> Leave it with me. Okay. <laughs> so the, the next story to be included in this, in this set is Exploration Earth, The Time Machine. I've only ever heard of Exploration Earth in the context of this story, and I'd always just sort of imagined it was maybe six or eight episodes or something that they did a Doctor Who crossover with. But apparently it ran for 17 years, Exploration Earth, from 1965 to 1982. So, I don't know, it's kind of weird that it, it isn't better known. And I imagine this this is the most listened to episode, obviously, because it's had uh, tape and vinyl and CD releases. Um, but they used it to teach geography in schools, uh, to, in primary schools. Uh, they used it to, to teach geography. It was a BBC schools program. I suppose potentially, Conrad, you maybe have been the only one who was at primary school in that area. Do you do you remember it at all? I well, they they I didn't hear this one, I and mean, I would have remembered it. There was there was another because this is you know back in the old the oldie days, um, there was always in schools like there was a speaker on the walls from which you know if there was an announcement to be made or an alarm went off in the school, it would come through that speaker. But also, plummy Radio Four educational uh, programs would come through that. Um, and but I don't remember this one. There was actually another one that Fred Harris did. They did some Doctor Who sk- skit or spoof as part of an educational one. Size nodding. Doctor uh, Ware. Doctor Ware with Sally Ann. You know, and mm-hmm. I remember. I remember. So I heard that one, but I definitely didn't hear this one because boy, would I have remembered it. Um, but yeah, it's 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 the same sort of you know type of school of power teaching that wheeling the big telly in. You know, for, for you to watch comes in. But yeah, I didn't if hear the this. Teacher one. half an hour off. <laughs> This is it. But this would have been the era, but I didn't hear this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but it is very educational. Um, we learn all about the formation of the Earth and that there was actually an alien present for much of it um, called Migron, the High Lord of Chaos, chief of the Carrions, an enemy of the Time Lords down the endless ages. Uh, so don't remember that in any textbook. So it was, uh, yeah, fascinating that that's finally getting uh, a little bit of coverage. The TARDIS steering is faulty, so they, uh, the Doctor and Sarah end up at the creation of Earth. And what's nice in this one is, so that, they, so that Sarah can witness the formation of the Earth, the TARDIS has a little capsule that they can fly out of the TARDIS, that they, uh, they fill with air and, and fly out, which, yeah, it's kind of... I was really trying to imagine what that might look like. Um, yeah, whether it was just, yeah, kind of a little spaceship or something like that, I don't know. Um, Obviously, nowadays, the TARDIS can just sort of create a little kind of force field around it, and you can just go and open the door and have a look out. But in these days, they uh, they needed a separate little thing. It was another thing that reminded me of the annual stories, where there's one of them, isn't there's a second Doctor annual story, where he has this sort of like little portable Zeppelin <laughs> that he carries around with him. Um, so, yeah, that kind of that kind of thing was uh, was quite fun. Um, is it the Eighth Doctor Adventures as well? Where he has a motorbike. Uh, is it in those books? Yeah, I've been, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, it's quite quite like the idea that there's uh, that there's various other little vehicles stored away in there. So they follow the progression trail of the Earth to to track its development, and there's some nice poetic language in here that Tom Baker really really relishes. I think about shimmering lakes of molten rock, and then later he says the boiling rock uh, boiling the rock until it runs like cream. So it's quite kind of evocative. Uh, way of uh, of describing it, but then yeah, the uh, the monster turns up and he's very excited because uh, at this stage Earth is all chaos, it's all volcanic eruptions, and uh, you know there's there's only space gases that, that it hasn't formed its own atmosphere yet. So he's he's very keen on this being his kingdom of chaos, completely unchanging forever. Obviously, the Doctor knows that it will change. It's a little bit like ghost light in that sense that, uh, you know, kind of, um, light just, uh, you know, he wants to sort of catalog everything and, and it's going to be like that. And Migron wants it just always to be this incredibly chaotic place where there's no life or anything. And, uh, but obviously just the doctor doesn't do anything. He just sort of keeps skipping forward in time to watch the formation of the earth and keeps bumping into Migron. And, uh, just kind of winding him up, really. Even the word order makes me grow angry. Yeah. So the doctor the doctor keeps saying it. And then to speed things up, the doctor shows Sarah the compressive telly site so they can watch millions of years go by in minutes. Uh, but that makes Sarah a bit queasy. So again, it's like the Pescon, it's not a great story for Sarah. At one point he says, stop wittering Sarah, which I don't really think she would have put up with on, uh, on TV. But they do. I think they do nail the character of the doctor being flippant in the face of a really powerful alien is quite him because he, he sort of skips forward a few million years and he goes oh hello Migron are you still around <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, yeah Migron eventually just scarpers because uh, because the earth becomes uh, as we know it with it with its own atmosphere and uh, sort of solid core and everything like that so uh, yeah it's uh, I think the main thing you're supposed to take away from it is is how the earth formed isn't it but uh I don't know. I think if I was a kid, I'd have been too kind of carried away with the Doctor and Sarah and Migron to pay any attention to uh, to the educational side of it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But I, th- I thought I thought this was really sweet, and I don't think I've really I might have heard this. I think I have heard it before, maybe once, but like it really struck me this time. I think it's really good. I really enjoyed this one. I think possibly because I flipped very easily back into that school kid state of mind where he's like, "This is how we used to hit to hear stuff." So the format felt very. You know, I felt very much like I used sitting comfortably, you know. Um, but I thought it was really, really well written. I thought, because it did feel like a Doctor Who. It, it, it's it's not a million miles away from being a, a if, if this had been a one-episoder, you could have done it, you know. And the, the villain mm. was, you know, you, you definitely, um, you know, Sarah definitely dialed back into that, the sort of asking the questions type companion, you know, to... to to react to everything but again you know Liz Sladen can just modulate it and just touch was slightly more girlish and a little bit more you could just hear she was really being the voice of of you the child like the child listening to it and she she did that really beautifully I thought and um and Migron sounded brilliant I, initially I thought oh is this Stephen Thorne 
you know, because it sounded... Very Stephen yeah. Ford performance, isn't it? Yeah. It was a very like, legitimate Doctor Who villain. Like, it's easily what you could have imagined a Doctor Who villain. Mm-hmm. It sounded, sounded bang on. It sounded very accurately like a Doctor Who. It sounded like an Omega or something. Being a lord of chaos that fed off chaos. And like you said, even the word order just rattles it. So I could easily imagine it felt very authentic in that in that respect i think you know the shuttle you know having a little little capsule obviously is sort of odd to us but it's not a huge stretch like you said not from having now that you have a force field they can open the doors it's basically the same thing you know Mm. um yeah i I thought it was very sweet and like you said tom and and again tom is just playing this exactly like the doctor there's a bit where he's like you said he's taunting Migron, who sort of says i will destroy you and he's like we've heard that before haven't we heard that before sarah you know the little sort of like a little it's just like and apparently they did this in half a day with no rehearsals and no ad-libbing and that is just remarkably nailed i I thought Hmm. i learned i did some learning as well so i I learned some stuff (laughs) Migron does say at one point listen and learn does it there you go (laughs) yeah yeah and Hannah, you'll yeah, Hannah, you'll know um, Migron um, because he's um, Muller from Blake Seven's Headhunter. Oh gosh, he's still faceless. Where is Orac? <laughs> this trap one is pulling together. It's Bond. It's Blake Seven. You get it all go. here, people. Yeah. You've got it all here, people. All my favourite things. Mm-hmm. Love that. He was also in the animated. He was the, one of the voices in the animated Lord of the Rings as well. So he's done. He's a good little Shakespearean actor. So he's got. He's got chops. And mm-hmm. I think he's really good. Yeah, and uh, again, it was a nice, nice production. So um, we've got sound effects from Dick Mills, which is all. So everything was absolutely authentic and absolutely right, which is, which sort of adds that sort of um, very similitude that you're watching the TV show. You've got the right sound effects, so you haven't got a weird TARDIS landing and taking off noise like you've got in um the pescatons so so that that felt good and again um i did like again another triumph for liz sladen i've said we're getting loster and loster she has some dialogue disasters in 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 these these two two middle adventures but she carries it off beautifully as always yeah, and I think, I think doesn't, is it in this one that Tom says, uh, "Put your hand up if you want to ask a question or something." Yes, like yes, like, yes. Like, it's a school like, thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I almost feel like that stop wittering line is as well. It just does feel like the kind yeah. of thing you say to a bunch of like, <laughs> and girls gossiping at the back of the class. Oh, I'd have been with them. I was always with the girls gossiping in the back of the class, always. And she got, he actually got written to a school report. Connor is always back of the class giggling with the girls. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> it's, this one took me back. We had a teacher who used to refer to people as um, girls were twits and boys were stupid boys, but in a full on, like, sort of to pike of Dad's Army style, which at the time I didn't get. It's only looking back I can see it now. Twits twittering and stupid boy. <laughs> and then the the B side to this record is Tom Baker in his own words, which is a selection of interviews that Tom Baker's done over the years. These have previously been released on the Doctor Who at the BBC uh, CDs, which apparently has been like nine volumes of. Yeah, it's an incredibly long-lasting series. I didn't. I've got the first two, and then I thought that was it. So um, yeah, I need to uh, maybe hit eBay and, uh, and try and uh, track some more of these down. So there's a number of interviews here. The first one is Pete Murray's Open House from Radio 2, which is a weird little Christmas Eve comedy sketch from, I think, 1975. It's from the 70s. It sounds like it's from the 50s or 60s. It's so kind of stilted. And and they, and throughout, uh, both Pete Murray and Tom Baker call the TARDIS TARDIS, which is a very kind of 60s thing as well. Tom Baker doesn't massively sound like he's into it. Um, <laughs> he he has an alien companion called This from the planet Thus. It, it's not very funny. It's not very well written either because the host opens it by saying they've been trying to contact Doctor Who through the uh, you know it's like uh, space broadcaster or something, and then he's surprised when the TARDIS lands. And he thinks it's his local Bobby who wants his Christmas box. And he says, uh, yeah, he's sort of, come in, I'll give you 50p. I thought, is that something that people used to do with their local Bobby? Is that 
that seems like that would contravene some bribery and corruption legislation somewhere. <laughs> if they, sort of, <laughs> people used to give them Christmas boxes. Uh, so that all seemed sort of strange. And um, yeah, I think it says that they're advertising. So he said there's, there's a special Doctor Who on at 3 p.m. on Christmas Day, but I don't know. That's the Queen's speech time, wasn't it? So I wasn't kind of sure what that uh, what that was going to be. Or... It was probably going to be the repeat of Genesis of the Daleks. <laughs> The comrade saw uh, that Christmas. Yeah. When was it? Was when it? When was rough? Do you know when this is from? This uh, bizarre comedy sketch. And we use the word comedy loosely because it sounds like a pile of crap. To be honest, it's it's <laughs> it's, 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 it's very poor. It's from the twenty fourth of December, nineteen seventy five. Oh, so wow, yeah, that would have been. Yeah. In that case, yeah, you're right. So, um, December seventy five was the Genesis, but I don't know if it was on when it was, what time it was on, or anything, mm-hmm. but. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I remember that sketch so, not being very good on on the CDs. Yeah, it's it's um, it's a weird one. And then we get um, Tom Baker on Woman's Hour from January nineteen seventy seven, and that's a bit more of a series interview. Um, she's asking about you know are the plots too complicated, which kind of just made me think you know that's what people, particularly like in the Stephen Moffat era, are the plots too complicated? And you think well like. 40 years ago people were still saying the same thing um and talking about is it too scary which obviously is you know like a perennial thing to ask about doctor who as well but topic is quite interesting on that as well actually because he talks about how the producers are open to listening to him about that but ultimately as well that you know it comes down to editing he's saying you know, sometimes they film things and it looks absolutely horrific and then once it's been edited and he watches it go out it's kind of uh uh, it's not too bad. He talks about um, Mrs. Whitehouse won't even have lunch with me, which is quite funny. <laughs> oh, that would have been a lunch worth being a fly on the wall. Oh, I'd have been a fly on the wall for that one. It'd have been pouring Mary into a taxi. <laughs> He'd have loosened up after that. <laughs> oh, someone should dramatise that. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Uh, then there's the the John Dunn show, which um, these are all before my time. I don't, I don't recognize the name of any of these these DJs. He was on Radio Two as well, and this is an interview from September 1980, uh, publicizing season 18 uh, and the Leisure Hive specifically. It's I think it's uh, mid Leisure Hive, so he's talking about that. Um, and he talks a little bit about being recognized and 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 sort of you know what what his kind of fame has brought to him, um, and. He sort of um, he, he talks about what it's like when somebody approaches him for an autograph, but it's so specific <laughs> that it must have it must have actually happened. As he talks about being asked to autograph a cigarette packet, and he's like, "Well, of course I wouldn't be seen dead autographing a cigarette packet." <laughs> uh, and he t- talks about this autograph for a girl called Lucy and things like that. Uh, so that, that's quite a nice one. And um, then, sort of bringing it more up to date, he talks to uh, James Nocty, who obviously I do remember from from being on Radio Four. Uh, he memorably mispronounced uh, Jeremy Hunt's name, didn't he, when he was the culture secretary? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they're talking about um, this is from 1999, and he comes on after Douglas Adams, who the interview Douglas Adams isn't isn't included, unfortunately. But they they talk about the the enduring appeal of Doctor Who, and uh, yeah, James Nocty says that he's got a 12 year old kid who's Doctor Who mad in 1999. Uh, which is quite cool. So that's uh, that's, I guess, somebody who came to it through UK Gold or something. And then or possibly uh, TV, actually. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe that. it's dimensions in time, and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be somebody, hasn't there, that uh, that came there to it? I mean, there really will be someone out there. I've yet to see one. I've, you know, it, certainly I've yet to find one who'll admit to it. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. Actually, 1999, that was the Doctor Who night, wasn't it? I it wonder if was, they were publicising yeah, so, that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I suspect maybe that was uh, maybe it was a bit of publicity for that because Tom Baker presented it, didn't he? And then there is a sketch from Dead Ringers from 2001 where John Culshaw used to phone people as Tom Baker, didn't he? Yes. Um, there's quite a lot of these sketches. I used to try and record these off the radio, actually. Uh, and in this one, he phones Tom Baker and, and says, you know, 
uh, you know, I need your help and everything because uh, I'm going to be put on trial because K9 has fouled the pavements on Gallifrey. Tom Baker's a, a fantastic sport and he plays along and he immediately comes back with, oh, did somebody slip on the ball bearings? So he's kind of just sharp as attack with that, just kind of goes with it immediately. He doesn't sort of just say, you know, who is this or anything? But yeah, it shows a lot of different sides to Tom Baker, I think. Yeah. There's some of them he's talking quite seriously about the role. Some of them he's just kind of being kind of glib and flippant. And then, yeah, in the open house one, he's sort of playing the doctor, but <laughs> seemingly quite begrudgingly. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, nice nice, uh, nice thing to have as well in a Tom Baker set is, um, yeah, in, in his own words, as the, uh, as the title suggests. Yeah, I haven't heard a lot of those. That's pretty cool, actually. I like that. That's good. And then the last one is uh, obviously from season 18, is State of Decay. Yes, and um, sort of significantly, really, for, for this set, this is all Tom Baker. He is yeah. everyone in this. And um, my God, it is brilliant. Um, again, this was um, something else I got for my sixth birthday. So this was my first big Doctor Who birthday. So this was a present from my grandparents, um, which was the single edition of the cassettes. Um, I think this version might be the... Oh, Comrade is shaking the cassette. That's what a cassette is, boys and girls. This is Uh an educational podcast. (laughs) Um, So I believe this version is the 1985 version with jolly music and bits and pieces all the way through, um, which was also on the Blu-ray. So that was the re-release version from 1985 where it was on a double pack where where the very short sides were about 15 minutes long, I think. Um, but yes, my God, this is brilliant. This is Terence Dix um, writing a different version of the novel. So for years I thought it was, was the same as the novelisation, but obviously it isn't. And he's, um, it's a brilliant script which gives Tom the chance to really show what he can do. So there are so many lines in this that were were staples of my childhood. Romana was appalled, which then gets reprised <laughs> in in Sharda, which, which he does again um in nineteen ninety two. But um Cabbages are kings. You could end up with the TARDIS is on strings. And um the the original cliffhanger of the first cassette was in the manner that one talks to sick relatives, Romana patiently asked what all this had to do with Zargo and Camilla, which is a great cliffhanger. <laughs> one of the, the cliffhangers we were denied on TV. <laughs> but I, it's, um, it's, again, it's quite cleverly written because um, some of the voices that Tom might have struggled with are removed. So canine only speaks in reported speech all the way through. So he's not had to do a, a canine impression. Um, the um, Ivo's wife is written out completely, so there's only Romana and Camilla, sort of female voices, wise to do. And Tom, do, Tom, um, I think does some some really fantastic voice work. His Orcon is very menacing and quiet and mm. still, and his his Kalmar is just nice and croaky and old and and lovely and and. For, for years, because I only saw State of Decay once on TV, and I didn't even see all of it because I was dragged to a school fireworks display, um, I think, for the end of part one or part two, and through a tantrum because I <laughs> had to go before Doctor Who had finished to see fireworks, whatever that was about. Was not happy, not happy about <laughs> that. So I was like, you want to see some fireworks? I'll show you some fireworks. Yeah, exactly. I didn't have many tantrums as a kid, but missing Doctor Who was going to cause one of those. And I can remember almost being pulled out of the living room trying to put the TV back on to see the end of that. Um, so, so I did miss, miss a little bit. Um, so, so for years, this was, this was State of Decay for me and all of Tom's impressions. And so there were bits when I eventually saw it on video again um, in the early 90s in my, my pirate video days um, when videos would just plop through the door um, <laughs> unexpectedly. Um, and when State of Decay came, it was like, well, they didn't say that right. That's not how Tom Baker said this. This is... <laughs> See, but I remember, See, 
the great one rises and things like that. So you can sense Tom is, is enjoying this, but he's taking it very seriously. And obviously all his work in voiceovers and everything else, he's got the perfect voice to sit and listen to as a kid. And this was basically Doctor Who telling me a story. So I absolutely loved it. And I listened to it in my TARDIS tent. We listened to it in the car. It went all over the place, that cassette. So yeah, we, yeah. It was a huge staple of my childhood. And I had to buy the the double pack eventually because I wore the first cassette out. <laughs> so there we go. There's a story for you. I thought I'd give, just for old time's sake, I thought I'd give my tape a go. And uh, and Mark very kindly was like, oh, you know, I can send you an MP3 if you don't want to risk it. I'm like, I want to live on the edge. I want to see if this still works. <laughs> or, um, so this is, you know, this is from 1981. And I gave it a go in my tape deck. Uh, which is still going. It lasted about 20 minutes and then it started to get a bit warpy. So I was like, do you know what? I think that's probably the last time I'll ever actually hear it uh-huh. on the tape. So I, I, I went to my season 18 Blu-ray and, and listened to it on there instead. Which is the first time I actually heard it with the music, the weird yeah, music. It's weird. It's, it's strange, is, isn't yes, it? A bit, a bit. That was... A, yeah, because the original one just starts with the the weird sound effects, sound, yeah. yeah, which is their pro- I don't know if that was their approximation of a TARDIS landing mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. It's quite weird, but yeah. Yes, it's all in the season 18 one. Yeah. Because it's so atmospheric, isn't it? And and, and Tom's delivery is is like you say it's quite somber at times as befits, you know, like a kind mm-hmm. of vampire story. And then that music crashes in and it's do 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 <laughs> It's, it's completely at odds with the atmosphere mm-hmm. that they're trying to create with it, I think. It did strike me, though. It's funny. This one does does feel, as a piece of narration, it feels, whereas the Genesis is uh, is full of action and bangs and flashes and Daleks and stuff, this did feel like a one for an older uh, child, I thought, maybe a bit. I, I felt... Because I, I think I was, old, I was older when I heard it as well, and season 18 just hit us at the right time for this. So it's, it felt like a more mature reading, you know, reading, I think. You know, there's less bangs and flashes in it, so it's a different. It suits that season eighteen melancholic vibe so well. It's interesting that Adric's scenes are almost completely excised, aren't they? You get him leaving the TARDIS, and then he doesn't show up again um, until the end when he's apparently sided with the vampires. It kind of made me think you could have completely cut him out, and it could have just have been a kid from the village playing that part really couldn't it you know for in terms of it being a bit more of a standalone release and everything for for, for a tape because you don't really get a sense of his character or anything and they they don't talk about Alzarius or kind of any of his origins either do they sorry can you remember when, when, when this was what season was this originally supposed to be in was it when it was, it was, with Sarah it was or um, yeah it would have been um, Leela because it yeah. would have been um horror fang rock yeah so it would have probably been a boy from the village yeah, perhaps um, it would have been um, Ivo's son, maybe. Mm. That's exactly who it would have been. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So like, oh, our son's gone missing. That would have been him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. For this version, it would that would kind of make more sense, wouldn't it? Because uh, yeah, I was you know, I suppose Adric to... was was the current companion at this point because it's released after season eighteen. So sort of in the gap between season eighteen and season nineteen. So right, you you'd sort of need him there, but he's. He's really, really pared down. The consonantal drift, which I think is just such a great pun, is, is missing, isn't it? But wasn't that something that Christopher H. Bidmead had put in that Terence Dix wasn't keen on? So, mm-hmm. he's, uh, so he uh, he didn't keep it in. But yeah, it was always uh, always a part of it that but I the, really liked. Making that. it Chinese whispers and how how language changed was was a really nice thing for the audio and. And that was yeah was for kids to understand. Yeah, mm-hmm. it makes more sense, doesn't it? And I think this this was this, not this audio version, but State of Decay was also included on that Time Lord Victorious box set. It again, was as, yes, as another mm-hmm. key part. You know, vampires being a big part of uh, Time Lord mythology, along with Daleks and the Time War and all that stuff as well. So that's right, because the Doctor Who magazine comic strip element of Time Lord Victorious, which Scott Gray wrote, yeah, it has the Doctor going back to the Great War with the vampires. Mm. Uh, yeah, as part of that, yeah. Greyhound leader to trap one. Emergency alert to all radar stations. So thank you very much there, Sai. That was uh, one of your patented Tales of Childhood, which are uh, podcast ratings gold, so I appreciate that. And if people <laughs> uh, if people enjoyed that, they should check out your 
new um, solo career uh, on your brand new podcast, if you'd like to tell our listeners about that. Yeah, well, um, this is The Library of Impossible Things, which is my idea for a podcast where fans bring an object that means something to them and tell the story of their fandom. So I went into great lengths about mine because apparently it's quite easy to talk about yourself for an hour and your love of Doctor Who without even having to stop and think about what you're going to say. <laughs> um, so um, so I, I, I thought I'd record my, the pilot and, and have the first object. And then hopefully I will be recording with guests shortly. Very exciting. It's a really lovely listen and I will put a link in the show notes. If anyone hasn't heard it, they should, uh, they should check that out. Thank you, Mark. Uh, where else can our listeners find you on the internet? Um, you can find me on Twitter as at Cy underscore heart and on Blue Sky as at Cy heart, all one word. And Mark, we're back for the new series of Maximum Power as well, the Blake 7 podcast. <laughs> yes, very, very excited. And uh, yeah, so the, as, as we go to press, uh, the first episode is out and the second one will be out tomorrow. Yep. And Hannah will be joining us very shortly for for an episode in Series C as well. Yes, I, I, I think Series C is marvellous. And I, I feel like I anticipate the wait between Maximum Power seasons now as much as anyone would. Except <laughs> <laughs> in Series. It's, it, it is like so joyous listening to everyone. Yeah, it's sort of Conrad's fault where he said, oh, it's it's a... It's a dark autumn winter listen, this one. So we we uh, we have kept to the schedule almost to the week. It's incredible. So nature is healing. Yep. It's a nice balance for you, Sai, as I felt like you, the library is a very comforting autumn. Uh, mm-hmm. listen. Thank you. <laughs> and where can our listeners find you on the internet, Hannah? Uh, you can find me on Twitter as uh, Mrs. Simon Templer and on Blue Sky as Hannah Cooper. And Conrad, you've recently guested on another podcast, uh, which was a fascinating look at your life as a Doctor Who fan and as a companion. Yeah, that was um, Sirens of Audio. Uh, just very kindly invited me on. Uh, they obviously review uh, or interview anyone who's been in Big Finish or involved with Big Finish. And so they uh, invited me on there to talk about my work on Big Finish. And it ended up a bit of a story of my life. It was a bit of a roller coaster. It was quite an interesting exercise. It's a it's a long old thing, but it's uh, it's on YouTube and it's on um, uh, obviously where you find your podcasts. But you'll find it pinned on my Twitter, uh, where I am at hair of the found hair of the hound underscore, and I'm also on Blue Sky um, under however you find hair of the hound on there. And it's also just worth saying we've mentioned it briefly here, but if you're if you're not going, how much is this box set by the way? This vinyl box set. Do you know how much this is retailing for roughly? It's- £75. £75. It's a very beautiful thing, but as we've slightly mentioned here, if you're not going to shout out uh, £75, um, you can find all these. You can find Genesis on the Season 17 box set. You can find Pescatons and Exploration Earth on the 16, Season 14 box set, and as I said, State of Decay on Season 18. So they're all there. Definitely check those out. You can find me on Twitter at Quark McMalis, um, also the same on Blue Sky. Um, as I said, you can also hear me on the new series of Maximum Power. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Trap1 underscore and at Trap1 on Blue Sky. And please consider leaving us a nice review or a star rating or wherever you get your podcasts from. Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Uh, otherwise, that really would be the genesis of terror. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. 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 <laughs>